I'm going to call it financial infidelity. And what I mean by financial infidelity is when someone is not being forthright with the finances. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of the women listening today are going through that. We actually went through a survey. We interviewed 150 women. 62% said that their husband was hiding wow. information yeah. from them, whether it was yeah. income or expenses or yeah. asset values, things like that. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. I am your host, Stacey Francis, coming to you every other week with the information you need to know to make sure you live a financially secure life. And today is no different. We are interviewing two fantastic women, TH and Jessica, their best friends, who got divorced at the exact same time. And although they had completely different experiences, they both experienced struggles, rising from a lack of resources, finding good, helpful information, not getting the support they needed from, well, other professionals. And during this journey, realized that they could make a difference. And that's what they're doing today. They're helping and paying it forward, helping other women like you through the divorce process. They created this beautiful online community that they're going to talk a little bit more about called the X-Experts. They call themselves a reality check. And they're, I will tell you, brutally honest about what you need to do, how you can find positive space for yourself and making the right decisions, whatever stage you are in during your divorce. No one divorce is the same as another. And Every single situation is different, but these two amazing women, TH and Jessica, share their stories, helping you find your way and make sure you stay to the end because they share more about how you need to be educated, resources that you need, and give you the top three tips you need to know to make sure that you have a financially secure life like theirs. So without further ado, please help me welcome our very special guests today, TH and Jessica. So welcome. I'm so excited that you are here, TH, and that you are here, Jessica, two amazing women who went through divorce and are bravely here sharing their story. And for all of you listening, they have not only an amazing story to share, they have created a fantastic community a resource for other women like you thinking about going through and after divorce. And so we have so much to speak about today, but I'd just like to say a great big welcome. Thank you for being here, Jessica. Thank you for being here, TH. Thank you so much for having us and for the opportunity. We're excited to reconnect with you on this. I know, yes. I know. We're going to have so much fun. And I have to say all of you listening, 
just picture us with Cosmos in our our hand. That's what I'm picturing too. It's girls chatting, having some fun, the biggest fun you can have during the day without getting into trouble. So I'd love to just kick it off uh, to UTH. We're going to be talking about divorce, but many times divorce is about money. And so was that the case for you? What role did money play? And I also just want to dig a little deeper of what is your attitude about money and what was money like growing up? And did that impact you at all? Kind of how you show up in life today? So you might have to remind me of some of the questions you just asked me, but I'll start. Yeah, with I know. I just up. asked you a million questions, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so growing up, I mean, my dad worked and traveled. My mom was home with us. She was a teacher and went to school to be a teacher. But then when she got pregnant, she wasn't allowed to teach anymore. So she was at home and I think that we lived a nice lifestyle, but I never really thought I was entitled. I mean, we had a nice home. We lived in the burbs outside of the city, New York City, and I never wanted for anything, but I never felt entitled to anything, if that makes sense. I had jobs in high school. I definitely blew them off. I have to be honest for something better on a weekend. So again... I had money, I had access to money, but I did like having my own money. And when I saw this question on your list here, I remember my biggest lesson. I don't remember how old I was, but my mother and I went into a store. I think it was like one of those five and dime stores. And then we get back in the car and I'm chewing gum. And she's like, where'd you get the gum? I said, well, I took it from the store. She goes, I didn't pay for it. I said, okay. She goes, you're going back in there and you're going to go and apologize for taking the gum. I really didn't understand. Like, the gum was there. I took the gum. Let's run. Well, now we're leaving. Okay. There's gum out. Take it. Yeah. So I had to apologize. And I honestly, I could have been five for all I remember right now, but that definitely made an impression on me. Like you better have the money before you take something. And it's so simple. We always had an allowance. So I managed my money, but growing up, we didn't spend money. We hung out each other's homes. It was so simple. My kids spend so much more money than I ever did. I went shopping with my mom. I didn't shop by myself, you know, those kinds of things. And then when I got married, I had a job. He obviously had a job and I actually handled the bills because he used to work really long hours. So I took care of the bills until he started cheating. And then he was going to do me a favor and take care of the bills. We had three kids under eight and I was home with the kids. I was in between jobs and he took over the bills and said, I, I'm going to help you out with this. You know, you got a lot on your plate. That was a mistake that I have a feeling we're going to get back around to in this conversation. Wow. So I was always mindful of money. I always invested money through work. You know, I wasn't so active in it. I wasn't like, I want to invest in this and I want to invest in that. Kind of went along with mutual funds, 529s for our kids, like yeah. all pretty vanilla stuff for me. He leaned into doing the budgeting and the bill paying when he started to want to hide something. Absolutely. Yeah. And he still didn't hide it all that well because I had all the passwords and everything, but I wasn't looking because yeah, I figured the same off, way. finally, thank yeah. you. One less thing yeah. to worry about. Yeah. Right. yeah. And Jessica, did money play a role in your divorce or kind of the unraveling to deciding that divorce was the right fit? It really didn't. You know, Tish and I talk a lot about kind of like the red flags that we might see now that we didn't see then. And, and Darren was definitely cheating 
And I just wasn't in an emotional or, you know, state to like really kind of face it until the day I had to face it. And at that point, I had a really good job. I was running my own show at a network and I felt like I was financially stable enough to be able to pay my own bills and things like that. But I will say I wasn't necessarily the breadwinner. And the money that I was making, while I knew that I could cover my expenses pretty much, like I definitely still had that very scary feeling of vulnerability, of being the underdog, of being just the lesser party, for lack of a better expression. And I was very concerned about, I worked in TV, like, I don't know, what if my show got canceled? What if this happened? You know, what if you lose your job? And then what was I going to do? So we had gotten married very young. Both of us had nice upbringings, but kind of we came into it like not really with anything. It's not like either of us had some kind of a trust fund or something. And we had no prenup. So when we got divorced, it was like I kept what was in my 401k. He did whatever. And we literally just like left and split. But I did have written into my divorce agreement. And again, this was because we had a very amicable divorce and he was very remorseful of the circumstances. So I had written into my divorce agreement that he had agreed to that if at any point I were to lose my job, he would cover, I feel like it was maybe around $7,000 a month that he would front me up to X capped amount of money Mm. that obviously I would owe him over time. But to me, it was like a little bit of a cushion of like, God forbid, if I were to lose my job, like not that I would want to owe him money after the fact. And I also remember the first year after we split up, he covered the rent of the apartment that I was living in. And after that year, I was going to have to cover the rent. And I remember specifically, not just the rent, the first rental apartment that I went into, but also the first apartment that I bought. I made sure that my monthly expenses fit within the parameters of what my child support was. Because I was like, God forbid, again, like in an emergency, yeah, you, lose your, you lose your job. I would yeah. at least have that money to cover those expenses. So it wasn't like we fought over, I mean, listen, everybody fights a little bit over money about how you're getting, but I feel like it really wasn't a major thing like that. It was more, I just wanted to cover my ass. I have to say what you just said was so brilliant, <laughs> making sure that your expenses fit and could be covered by the child support. I had waived alimony. So I wasn't getting like an additional sum. So it was whatever that child support was, I made sure that I bought an apartment where my maintenance and my mortgage costs fit within that number so I could cover my bills. All I can say is kudos to you, but that probably was not so easy. That had to be a big step down in your standard of living. No, it really wasn't. I think like in retrospect, I guess I was doing okay with the child support. I mean, it was a small apartment that I bought. It was in like a standard kind of post-war cookie cutter building. It was small. It was like 1,200 Mm -hmm. square feet. It was set up as a two bedroom, but I was able to take one of the bedrooms and, and convert it. So it was three small bedrooms. It was great. It fit for me and for what I needed with my kids. I felt like the building on the outside, you know, wasn't beautiful. It was like one of those buildings you drive around the city and it like looks like the projects, but it's not really yeah. the projects. Like it was sort of like that. But no, inside I had gutted the whole thing. So inside yeah. the apartment was just the way that I wanted it. And I actually felt like it was a really good apartment given what it was and what I made it. We had lived in some 
unbelievable properties over the years, but we had also spent a lot of time like flipping apartments. So the truth of the matter is the last apartment we were in together, the last rental we were in together when we split was not one of the nicest apartments we'd ever been in. So no, I, it, I didn't feel like it was necessarily like a step down. I felt like it was okay. I love that. Now, what about UTH? How did your lifestyle or spending change or not change after? So I just want to take a step back because my spending versus the way that my ex-husband spent is very different. The way we view money is very different. I was 100% in an emotionally abusive marriage. It wasn't financially abusive, but everything kind of starts to blend together. Yeah. And he would buy stuff to make himself feel better, to pump himself up. You know, mm-hmm. whatever, it's justified. He's entitled. So when I said I never felt entitled, that stands out for me and I'm aware of it because he just felt so entitled to huh. spend money on things that we had no money to spend on. And at the time that I was set free, we were actually going to break ground on a new home that was ridiculous. It wasn't what I wanted. He wanted to take out a $2 million construction loan. We were living graciously in my parents' home for almost a year. He totally set this thing up like a mastermind. So we weren't in our home anymore. We had sold our home. We're going to build a home and temporary living for free in my parents' home. So the amount of money that was being spent was all going to him because me and the kids were living basically for free, you know, in yeah, my parents' with your parents. house. My parents weren't there, but I will say my parents came back up to Jersey from Florida and rented an apartment for themselves because we were in their home. Anyway, so it's just important to know that there's a very different mentality. So I had to reestablish us back in our town because I obviously got rid of that land. We never broke ground. It was, thank God. And I had also refused to sign that construction loan, which I don't know where that strength came from because I wasn't feeling things strong at all at the time. But for whatever reason, I'm like, I'm not signing a $2 million construction loan. We don't have $2 million. We're never going to have $2 million. So we set up. And at the time, we're, I don't even remember, Jessica, who told us about like the honeymoon stage of divorce, like right afterwards. Oh, yeah. So he was like, whatever house you want, whatever you want. So I found a rental in this beautiful home back in our town. And it is a beautiful home. And I could just move in. So he set a precedent with that. Now looking back, so our divorce took four years. So my rent was already much higher than it probably would have been if I owned a home here and what my mortgage payment would have been. So my alimony was very generous because it was based on precedent for how I was paying the bills to live in this town where we raised our children. He lived in an apartment in another town and had to FFIO. I don't know if I can curse here, but that was kind of what it was. And so it became complicated through the divorce, but there was so much lying. And I ended up having to hire a forensic accountant that if I wasn't going to get the money, I wanted my kids to get the money. He switched jobs. All of a sudden was making a quarter of the salary, which I know in his mind, he was never living on that amount of money. That's not good enough for him. So I knew there was something else going on. That money has since funded all of my kids in college and then some. So that's who I was dealing with. And 
for myself, I've always been very careful with money. I'm not an extravagant spender. My mother wasn't an extravagant spender. Like I said, we grew up in a nice, in a beautiful home. We belonged to a country club. We went on beautiful trips, but that's where the money went. It wasn't on anything else. I mean, it was really based on needs and education. And that's kind of how I followed suit with my own kids. Yeah. So my expenses were well covered because of my honeymoon divorce. My alimony recently ended and I was having like a holy crap moment. What am I going to do? Because Jessica and I are starting ex-experts, my alimony's ending. So then things shifted around a little bit more and I do budget for everything that I do. But it's good to know what your behavior and mindset is with money. And I'm happy to say that mine was not like his. Something that came across with both of you, Jessica and TH, is the words being careful with money. That is the number one most important thing, especially for women, because we typically can't rebound from divorce as quickly as our exes, especially if they were the primary breadwinner. And it is what it is. And so we have to be so careful. I so appreciate, Jessica, what you shared about how moving to the 1,200 square foot apartment, two bedroom, converted into a three bedroom worked for you guys. And I'm just going to honor you and say that you also made it work. You made it work. And it's so powerful to hear that knowing also that you lived in absolutely gorgeous places, but that the four walls around you are not the end all be all of whether or not you're happy. For the women going through divorce, this is understandably like, where am I going to live? Can it be the same or similar to where we were before? Yep. It's a huge issue. I think it's probably the scariest thing for anybody going through divorce, regardless of who you are. I mean, maybe maybe Melinda Gates wasn't so worried, but I feel like most average people, most average women, I think the money and is the money going to last and how you're going to manage it is the scariest. I have always been pretty good about managing my money as well. I feel like I grew up knowing the value of a dollar. And ever since I had started working, I was always one of the people to like max out the 401k. Like I was always putting money aside for savings and things like that. And I mean, at that time, everything I had went into that apartment, everything I had, but I was proud to qualify for the apartment because it was a New York City co-op. So there was that. I really felt like my kids were little, you know, they didn't really understand any of like, they don't know the difference of the different apartments that we lived in before. They had friends. I had seen people's apartments that, you know, are not that great because we live in New York City and people are just, you know, trying to make it work, shoving a million kids into a room and everybody's sharing and things like that. I was proud that my kids were able to have their own rooms by the way that I was able to convert that apartment. They were little at the time. I mean, they were probably about seven and nine or eight and 10. They were small enough. I could have had them share a room. But my intention when I bought that apartment was, look, I could be here for 10 years and there's going to come a time where they're going to be 16 and 18 and they're opposite sex teenagers and they're not going to be able to be in in the same room. So I really felt like a big investment that I made during that process, which I had never really done before, was I did actually hire an interior designer. And I will say to anybody out there, if you're kind of trying to figure out whether or not you think it's worth the money, if you are able to do it, I would say it's definitely worth it because in this small apartment, I felt like every time I opened the door and walked down, I'm like, my apartment is freaking awesome. 
it was great. I loved the apartment. Like I thought we did such a nice job with it. It was a real home. I am a person for whatever reason, I don't know. I feel like there, it's like, like that old fashioned American dream of like being a homeowner. I need that kind of stability in my life. And my first husband and I had owned a million apartments because as I said, we used to flip them. But when I was renting after the divorce initially, I just felt like I was in flux. You can't do certain yeah. things to the decor. You can't upgrade things. You know, you're kind of in this place with sort of blank walls. And as a woman in her mid thirties at the time, it was like, okay, so what am I doing here? Like, am I waiting? Am I going to see if I meet someone else? Like, how is this going to work out? And I finally was like, I just wanted my kids to have the stability of having a home and like not continuously having to move because the rent yeah. were changing or whatever that case may be. So buying an apartment for me was really a priority. An interesting thing that I did not, it was not a plan of mine, but I happened to be a big junk food eater and a fast food eater. And I had lived in this rental for about four years before I bought that apartment. And the apartment that I lived in that I rented, I'm not even joking, was across the street from a Taco Bell. And I love Taco Bell. And I am not exaggerating when I tell you that on average, I had Taco Bell for dinner five nights a week. I would walk in the door and like, I wouldn't even have to order. Like they would just like, like, yeah, they would reach for what I wanted. I got two soft tacos and a medium Sprite every single night, but without like the foresight of like, oh, think about how much money I'm saving. I mean, every night my dinner cost me $3 for four years. So I I actually, (laughs) (laughs) so I I was able to inadvertently put more money aside because I really wasn't spending a lot of money on food. My kids were really little. Like, what do they need? Cereal and like hot dogs, you know? And it was just, they were, I mean, honestly, it's like my overall expenses. I mean, there were expenses, obviously. I need, you know, my utilities and the kids needed clothes and all of the things. But it was like, there were definitely things that if they could have candy for dinner, they would have been happy. So I wasn't feeling pressured that I needed to like have big elaborate meals or whatever the case may be. So I always felt like it was important to me to own a home. And I, was willing to make other sacrifices in order to buy that apartment. Yeah. 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 And I just went through the whole process again. And I know I'll be house poor for the rest of my life. And I'm totally okay with that because I feel like having a home that I can plant my flag in where I'm not living in transition anymore and where I feel like my kids know that there's like a place that's going to be permanent, so to speak, is just very important to me. I think after having been through two divorces. I agree. And I think what's really in your message that's so strong that needs to continue to be heard is that you can have your own home. Just make sure that it fits with your budget and that yes. you're willing to make it work. And, you know, TH, you know, I see that you're, you're definitely shaking your head and agreeing too. You had, I'm going to call it financial infidelity. And what I mean by financial infidelity is when someone is not being forthright with the finances. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of the women listening today are going through that. We actually went through a survey. We interviewed 150 women. 62% said that their husband was hiding wow. information yeah. from them, whether it was yeah. income or expenses or yeah. asset values, things like that. And you talked a little bit about what started to tip you off of 
there's no way he would take this job making this little because that doesn't support his lifestyle and his he lifestyle. He likes the finer things in exactly. life. He does. His lifestyle does. is what feeds yeah. his ego of who he is as this. It was, big, it's big all guy. about him. So yeah. if he's not living his lifestyle, it was nothing about me and the kids. How did you, number one, find a forensic accountant and what did they do for you? Because this is one of the questions people have is how do I find a person that could do this work and what would they do for me? So back in the day, when I, when I hired my lawyer back in 2008, I knew nothing, which is one of the reasons why we started X Experts, because I did everything that you shouldn't do, which is spend a gross amount of money on a lawyer and let that be your only resource for anything and let them educate you and tell you instead of showing up empowered and educated. And educated. Yourself. The extent of the lies and deceit was mind boggling. So... She said, you need a forensic accountant. These are all new terms for me. I don't know anything. I don't know. Yeah. It no, sounds so scary. Just the forensic word forensic. Accountant, employability yeah. expert. I have my master's degree. So all of this stuff was being thrown at me. But it was through my lawyer that said I needed a forensic. I will say he is my most special person. I kept him from my legal tribe. He continues to be my accountant today. And still once in a while, I'm like, Hey, Mike, do you remember blah, blah, blah? And he says, yes, TH, in your agreement, it says he educated me though. And he educates me on what it means. He's become probably one of my most important relationships ever. So that's kind of, it was really just because my lawyer said I should get yep. one. So I did yep. what I was told. Then but I will say that since then, so this money that, has now funded my children's education, we agreed would go into a trust and is managed by this financial group of two women, oddly enough, because what I'm going to say is all the management conversations have only been with my ex-husband until about five years ago when I said, I want to know what the money's going into. So yeah. I didn't even include him. I emailed the women and I said, I want every quarter to be educated on what the plan is. I want to ask you a million questions without him on the phone because yeah. he's going to make me feel like an idiot. And even yeah. if he doesn't, I'm going to feel that way based on our relationship. And so we do that now. So even with Mike, like I set up regular calls with him. I make sure my budget's right. My, my taxes, I understand what I'm entitled to. I've learned to speak up. So the way I got my forensic was not the way that I want people to get their forensics and their experts. I want them to go in and say, I heard this thing about a forensic accountant. Do they fit for me? Or should I use a financial advisor? Or should I go to yeah, Stacey yeah. Francis? Or I didn't know any of that. I just, your lawyer tells you what to do. I'm telling everybody that's not the case anymore. You know what to do. So I have come a long way of not afraid to speak up. I know that you and I, Stacey, have spoken about women being afraid of money and being afraid to be educated about it. And the truth is, it feels great to be educated about it. It feels great yeah. to really have an engaging conversation about your future. This is how I'm going to support myself. And I can say it because I understand it. I feel like you guys are just masters at the secrets of a successful financial future. And you hit on one, two, three, being careful with money, having your home be a home that you can be afford 
And number three, getting the right experts and getting educated. And TH, I love that you stood up for yourself and told those two financial advisors that this is my children's money. I am their mom and I need to know what's going on and I want to get educated. Yeah, I was shocked that they weren't even, and then they apologized. I know that's really naughty. That's naughty with a capital N. Reaching out to me directly. I said, this was obviously not an amicable divorce. I mean, we have to co-sign everything. Right. Another little bit of tidbit of information. I know we're going to be wrapping up in a minute, but I am now moving in with someone who's my partner for my life. And he's the most amazing man ever. But in building a home together, I insisted on a cohabitation agreement because I wanted to own the home. So I've not owned a home without someone for such a long time. I mean, I lived in my home after I rented it and stuff like that, but it was gifted and I got it. Like, this is the first time that I have my money and we signed an agreement. I own 50% of this house and it's our money. And I just feel like so empowered by this. So it's just, it's scary, everybody, but it's just so rewarding. It really is. You feel very proud. I love two things. Number one, you are proof that there is love out there. We just celebrated Valentine's Day, but that self-love is also so important. And a cohabitation agreement for all of you, we're going to put some information in the show notes about what a cohabitation agreement is and so that you know. And you know, we'll put information also about a prenup and just so that you all know. But these are all documents that show self-love and to be quite frank, love of your your family and your children because If things went south, of course, it would impact them. I want to ask two more questions. I'd love to hear from both of you the answer to if you had only known what would you have done differently or what you wish you had, what mistakes you might have made. And then the other piece, just to keep in the back of your mind, I want you to talk a little bit more about education, resources, ex-experts, and all of that. Jessica, why don't you jump in first? Any mistakes that you made or or things that you wish that you had known or had done differently during your divorce? I have to honestly say, when I think back on the process, I don't think that there's anything that I necessarily would have done differently. I feel like the way that I approached the process worked for me at the time. I focused more on the end game of what I wanted our relationship to be and what I wanted my kids to see in terms of the two of us. And I definitely left money on the table in exchange for being able to have the relationship that we have today. It takes Mm -hmm. two people to do that. If you're dealing with someone like TH's ex-husband, I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if she wanted the same outcome that I wanted because he did not want that outcome. But fortunately, my ex was totally open to it. So I have always come from a place, and maybe this is because I've always worked. I've always been really adamant about having a career and being able to support myself and not having to rely on somebody else. But I have always kind of felt like in certain circumstances, X amount of money that I could have gotten in my divorce when I was 36, like, is that really going to have a major impact on my life over the next 50 years? Yeah. I don't think yeah. so. So to fight for that extra little bit, I'm not talking tens of millions of dollars. Maybe I would have put up more of a fight, but it seemed to me at the time to be potentially an amount that in the grand scheme of my life seemed nominal. And I felt like it was just so much more important to me to have the relationship that we have. So in my mind, the end result has been 
just what I wanted it to be and looks just like what I wanted it to look like and has worked out the way that I wanted. So no, I can't think of anything that I would have done differently. I love that. That's the best answer ever. (laughs) It's hard (laughs) though. It's hard. It's hard. It does take two because yeah, because you had a different experience. Right. We are extreme opposites. And thing about our stories is if you look at it on paper, it looks the same. The same. Everybody worked. We had kids. We hung out together. We traveled. It all looked so pretty and beautiful and nice. And uh, both of our husbands were cheating. A mess. But honestly, they were different I, people. I have said this before. The cheating was my ticket to freedom. I felt free that day. That was a gift for me. For Jessica, it wasn't the same thing. But my relationship was so horrible. I was so incredibly miserable. And I just couldn't find my way out that when I got the phone call, I literally told her that she saved my life that day. I told her that. And then everything unraveled, but she did. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm out. She called you and told you. Yeah. Well, yes. In not so many words. She she called to confirm that I was still married because she was with this man and, and the rest I can tell you off the record, but because it's like really not cool. The fact that, and you referred to this when we first started chatting, my freedom, Mm. that word that you used, and that goes to show how trapped you were. I was Mm -hmm. suffocating. I was suffocating in my marriage. I was a shell of a person. I woke up. I took care of the kids. I was always scrappy, thank goodness, online and always looking for opportunities, started eBay business, like did all this stuff. But it was never good enough in my marriage. I was the messaging was doesn't really matter what you do. You don't make enough money. It's not good enough. It's barely even an income. There was nothing that felt good. So yeah, yeah, I could breathe. Yeah. So let's talk about something really positive Mm -hmm. and this amazing company that you've put together, the X experts. And TH, I'd love to hear from you, like the catalyst that brought this of like why, and I know why, but because it's so needed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not out there, but but share right. a little bit more about why it's so important. Well, we would have used it. Yeah. We separated yeah. literally within a week of each other because our husbands were cheating on us with other women and covering for one another. So as I went in and started on me, oh no, no. no. They would it's, go on trips together with their girlfriends. For four years. You can't make this stuff up. Four years. So that'll be another conversation. But when I got the call and Jessica got the call and I started looking at all the banking and the credit cards and everything. I was like, Jessica, they weren't in Costa Rica with the guys. They were with their women. So everything was clear as day as soon as I started going through it all. And at the time, Jessica was in TV and I'm a marketing strategy. I don't know what, what the creative side. I said, we should start a radio show about divorce. But my divorce took four years and as happy as I was to just fly. Yeah. I had three kids under eight yeah, who were not understanding any of it. As it was unfolding, it was too much to understand. So we benched it. And then I had a great career in events and Jessica switched careers. And about seven months before COVID, I was ready for a change. I'm like, Jessica, I am looking online. And there is so much about divorce. I'd be scared right now. It's like going on WebMD. It's ads for the first 10 pages on a Google search. And everyone's got an agenda. There was no 
no place to go just for information about divorce in a vetted environment. So we created this platform of aggregated vetted ex-experts like yourself as being one of our firsts in all areas, all touch points for divorce. So we created it because we were lucky enough to have one another through our divorces, looking back and still as we do podcasts, we're like, God, I'm so glad we had each other. We're still Mm -hmm. seeing the value in that. So we want people not to do what I did. You don't show up at the first bulldog lawyer, spill your guts all over the table and do whatever they say. That is what not to do. So we have created X experts, which has all information and education so that you can make the right choices for yourself, for your circumstance. It could be like Jessica's could be collaborative. You might want a divorce coach, so many options now. So we have taken all of this and put it into a super simple website and we have put it out to the world in any way that you want to consume it on a podcast. You want to watch the video. You want to read the transcript. You want to read an article, or do you want to just ask Jessica and I anything? We're here. We're no BS. We're transparent. We're protective of our children. And, you know, there's a fine line, but the truth is crossing that line isn't going to give you any more information, just going to make it a little more dramatic. So that is the purpose of X experts. So you can do it the right way. You can own your outcome. Like Jessica was able to see what she wanted in the end and kind of work backwards, or you could be in my position and we'll give you all the support you need as far as being with a narcissist. What is a narcissist? It doesn't matter the name. It's the behavior. And you said at the beginning about self-love, we are all about moving forward. If you are stuck, then you need to look at yourself and how you can help yourself because you can help yourself. Every decision and the reason I'm in such a wonderful place for love right now is because I did ultimately grow to love myself and uncover myself. And I enabled bad behavior for my ex-husband. I allowed him to treat me that way. That was my role in it. And it's taken 13 years, everybody. It's not an overnight anything, but then you get to be every day. The sun shines. It feels warm. You wake up with a smile in your new home or whatever home with your new pillow or like a gorgeous candle. And it's yours. It is yours. And there's so many opportunities out there for you beyond it. So we're here to help you get there. I can't thank you two enough. And, you know, just letting everyone know too, in the show notes, we're going to be putting links to your website as well as how to best reach out to both of you, Jessica and TH. Thank you so much for being here. I have to say, this is one of my favorite podcasts. Favorite (laughs) podcasts. Thank you. And I love your like no BS, like you've lived it, you've done it, you've seen it. And this is what we learned. That's That's right. right. And that's the whole point to just pay it forward to other people. It's a very scary and lonely and overwhelming process, but it doesn't have to be. The only last thing I just want to say is we're not divorce coaches. So it's not like someone can call us and hire us by the hour for that kind of consult. I mean, what we're offering out there right now is free resources. We just want to help people so that they can read up about all of the potential options in advance. So when they do meet with a lawyer or they do meet with their forensic accountant, they have questions to ask. You know what I mean? They know whether or not they want to hire a divorce coach. It's to be able to just have everything in one place of all of the different topics of divorce. 
beautiful. That is one of the most wonderful pay it forward gifts. So I'm sending both of you guys a huge hug. And thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Stacy. Thank Stacey. you so much, Stacy. Thank you for joining me today. I have such a full heart right now. And the pieces that I walked away, that I hope you walked away with too, is how important it is to be careful with your money. And Jessica sharing that she created a life that could be supported by just her child support alone so that she could work and bank all that additional money. I love her Taco Bell story, not only to save money, but to be honest, I'll be honest, I love Taco Bell. She also shared how important it was to have a home. And TH shared that too, of a home that you could afford, but that was really authentically you, that made you happy when you looked around and making that investment to make sure it was just that. And finally, well, investing in yourself. And I think of anything, this is the, the strongest, most important message that you are now the captain of your own ship. You are 100% responsible for your finances. And so getting educated, telling your financial advisor to learn more. These are all things that you need to know. And I, I just want to say, if you do have any questions, please do reach out to me. I love to chat, to learn about your situation, and most importantly, give you some tips, ideas, thoughts, tools to make sure that you have all the information you need to make good sound, smart financial decisions. You can reach out to me at www.francisfinancial.com. Also, you know my email. It's right there in the show notes, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Know that we are here. If you have any questions or just like a second opinion about your situation, please reach out. Thank you again for joining us for Financially Ever After. We'll be seeing you in two weeks.